Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I've got a very special guest. He's an American software developer and serial entrepreneur who's widely known as a professional hacker in the developer community. He's the chairman of Disrupt University, an alternative education company that offers various coding boot camps and online learning programs as well as the CEO and co-founder of Disrupt Digital, a full-service digital agency servicing small, medium business clients around the world. He won numerous hackathons sponsored by Fortune 500 tech companies such as Google, IBM, Intel, Facebook, and Microsoft, and hosted by organizations including Rutgers University, the New Jersey Institute of Technology, and the AT&T Developer Summit in New York City. He has worked with a wide variety of different companies, including sports, media, entertainment, healthcare, government agencies, and nonprofits. He's also a member of the Forbes Technology Council, an invite-only organization for technology executives and thought leaders. In addition, he's a writer and contributor to the technology column of Forbes magazine. It is my pleasure to welcome the one and only Anthony Delgado. Welcome, Anthony. Avi, thank you so much for having me on the show, my friend. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure having you. So, Anthony, tell me, as a professional hacker, a good one, not an evil one, um, <laughs> what kinds of vulnerabilities are you seeing out there which we as an industry should be aware of? Absolutely. So, you know, when I say the word hacker, uh, the first thing that I usually get is like requests to uh, hack a child or, or a loved one's Facebook account, right? Um, <laughs> And it's not necessarily uh, the type of hacking that uh, we're talking about. Um, hacking and hackathons is more a collaborative sport of creating the most innovative uh, solution to a problem. So some of the hackathons that, that you mentioned in, in my introduction, and thank you for that, uh, were coding competitions where a real-world problem is put in front of you. So I'll give you an example. Uh, one of them was hack harassment. So hack harassment is a foundation um, that is a collaboration of Intel, uh, Vox Media, and the Born This Way Foundation, which is Lady Gaga's anti-bullying foundation. So they collaborated to create this coalition to use software and technology to stop harassment on college campuses. There's huge suicide rates, there's huge depression and things that come along with that stigma of kind of leaving the nest and uh, going to college. So what we created there was a... um, was a suicide and crisis hotline that the students could call into and they can call with any sort of problem, big or small. So anything from small, something small as I need help with my homework up until, you know, I'm, I'm feeling threatened on campus. And we used artificial intelligence and sentiment analysis to uh, record the calls and then look for trigger words. And if there was something in there like suicide or threatening or bullying, um, we would flag that call and, um, and put it in front of the correct people. So those are the types of hackathons that, that we're talking about. Now, as far as like security in business, uh, one of the things that I f- find most often is it's usually human error. And that's why it's good to have a technology professional uh, like yourself uh, almost hold the business's hand through all of the human vulnerabilities. For the most part, Software is secure. We're in 2018. We've had tons of really smart people collaborating to make these servers and these systems secure. And the weakest link is usually the human being in front of the keyboard. 
So whether that's like sharing a, a password over a text message or sharing a password over an email or an ex-employee that's disgruntled that still has access to a system um, or a, a password that's easily guessable or easily hackable or a uh, maybe something that's not configured properly, like it's doing what it's designed to do. The software isn't broken, but you have configured it so that the whole world can come on in and, and look at your system. Um, so, so again, I, I, one of the biggest things with hacking, it's usually social engineering, right? You might get an email that says, hey, click here, you want a trip to the Bahamas, and then you enter in your password and, and they get in, right? Um, a lot of the celebrity hacks that happened recently, right? Those were uh, the results of social engineering. You, you go to the website and it's, you click forgot my password, and it asks you your dog's name and where you went to high school. Now, if you're a high-profile celebrity, where you went to high school and your mother's maiden name, that's, that's common knowledge. So, so again, a lot of the, a lot of the so-called quote-unquote hacks, um, they're either inside jobs, right? So like Yahoo had all their passwords hacked. Nine t- times out of 10, that's an inside job. And, or it's social engineering where like, I know, uh, I know Christina Aguilera's uh, high school uh, mascot. So I'm able to get into her account like that. I, I think most <laughs> people do. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's so true. I find that a, a uh, reoccurring theme in the cybersecurity field that many of the vulnerabilities are human vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, no, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And it's interesting how AI is now being utilized for that. So similar to like what you were talking about, the suicide prevention line, um, you know, AI is now being utilized to limit those vulnerabilities in, in that human uh, element as well, such as, uh, uh, you know, being on the lookout for things like, uh, oh, uh, Anthony's uh, credentials are being used at 3 a.m. from the Bahamas. Uh, you know, is he actually <laughs> in the Bahamas? <laughs> well, he might be, but <laughs> but no, I totally, I totally understand the sentiment. And that actually reminds me of a, a really good friend of mine. I should introduce you so you can have him on the show. His name is Babak, uh, Babak, and he recently started an IoT security company focused on strictly using AI to safeguard IoT. Um, endpoints. And one of the things that people aren't realizing is as we move to this more and more connected world, now your doorbell has an IP address, uh, the Wi-Fi cameras have an IP address, your, your smartwatch, your, your Amazon Alexa, all of these things, your thermostat, all of these things have IP addresses and they're on your network. And now that's one more vulnerability that you have to worry about. So he created an IoT, uh, it's almost like an IoT specific um, firewall in the cloud where all of your IoT devices go through his system in the cloud. They use artificial intelligence to detect bad behavior and then automatically cut off an IoT device that might be uh, compromised. That would be very fascinating to talk about because if you think about it, they have estimated uh, about 50 billion devices by the year 2020. So if you think about that, it's going to affect all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's more devices than we have people. I mean, I think we're outnumbered by the robots at, at this point. <laughs> there you go. You know, being concerned about robots taking over your job. Well, guess what? It's happened already. That reminds me of the, the piece that, uh, that I sent you earlier uh, that I just wrote up on Forbes about all the different jobs and all the different industries that are just being disrupted by automation. Um, you know, uh, both of us are lucky that we're in the tech field. And um, 
So for now, our jobs are secure, but many, many middle-class, uh, traditionally blue-collar jobs, uh, anything where there's a rep, and not only blue-collar, even white-collar, right? Um, anything where there's any sort of repetition or there's a formula to it, yeah. you know, you, you can build an algorithm to do those formulas, even legal work, right? Um, you know, the best even lawyers medical are probably work. safe. They, they've got surgeons now, uh, you know, being replicated into robots. Mm-hmm. And, and they're more accurate and um, better than the average doctor. And um, there's actually, IBM has a, an AI that can detect cancer better than the best doctors in the world. And why? Because it has a combined knowledge of every single doctor in the world and every single cancer case. Um, so it can literally uh, look at an X-ray and determine with a very high percentage uh, more accurately than the human eye. Going along those lines uh, of disruption, so I love the name of your company, Disrupt Technology, because it gets you thinking about the massive disruption that's out there, right? In every industry, um, there are rapid advancements in IoT, AI, robotics, like we talked about, self-driving cars, you name it. Tell us a little bit about your company, Disrupt Digital, and what kinds of uh, businesses you support. Absolutely. So we feel that either... Um, you need to disrupt yourself or you will be disrupted, right? So we work with a lot of uh, companies who have been established for quite some time and we help them to uh, innovate internally and disrupt themselves. And this is a strategy that's been very successful in industries. Uh, one of the ones that uh, comes to mind is a company called Lithion. And Lithion is actually a spinoff of ADT, uh, ADP, the uh, payroll company. And what they did, rather than allow um, someone to come in new into the industry and disrupt them, and then either they would have to acquire that company or compete with them, they created an incubator internally to come up with projects that would directly compete with them. But the beautiful part was this incubator was owned by them. So all of the projects that came out of it are startups that they then own. So um, following in that model and that tradition, we do believe that either, um, either you uh, need to disrupt yourself or an outside, uh, uh, an outside force will come and disrupt you. Um, just to talk a little bit more broadly, because um, in the intro, you mentioned kind of two sides of the business, our, our uh, educational side um, and then our, our media side. Um, as an organization, we exist to empower the next generation of thought leaders, developers, creators, marketers, and entrepreneurs um, to uh, learn new skills, grow their careers, and create financial freedom for themselves and their lives. And we believe that um, technology, entrepreneurship, and innovation are really the keys and the tools that can unlock financial freedom for um, underserved communities all around the world. So we do that in a few different ways. Um, one of them is just purely by execution. So our mission is to increase diversity in tech. Technology is the thing that me personally, I use to create financial freedom for myself, um, you know, move myself up the economic ladder and um, really create the life for myself that I, that, that I want. There are not that many industries where um, without a college degree 
without a recommendation letter, without a uh, stamp of approval, whether that's a real estate license or a medical license or a law license. Um, there are gatekeepers to a lot of different industries, but tech and in specifically the internet has allowed for the democratization of information and the democratization of economies. And instantly you can compete on a global scale. So instantly you can go to market with your startup, you can go to market with your app. And if you are the best app, no one cares uh, the color of your skin, no one cares where you went to school, no one cares uh, what your recommendations letter say. The market is the person that gets to decide who the winners and who the losers are. And the beautiful thing is all you really need is Wi-Fi and a dream. Right, so you don't necessarily need to be in a specific geographical location. Again, um, prior to the internet, this wasn't the case. Like there was real estate in Times Square, and that real estate was disproportionately more expensive than Main Street. And if you had a store on Main Street, there was a cap on how much your store could make due to foot traffic. Now you can buy a dot com for seven dollars, right? And you can turn that piece of real estate into the most expensive. Times Square, Las Vegas Strip uh, type of business that you can. And really, the sky is the limit. And we believe that we can use technology. We can use um, digital entrepreneurship to now create new markets in underserved communities. So we do work in Newark uh, with Newark Kids Code. And now, most recently, we're bringing our coding and educational programs down to Puerto Rico. Um, after Hurricane Maria, they were affected uh, with a lot of adversity um, due to economic problems, right? So, like, the people who were uh, upper middle class, they were fine. You know, the hurricane happened. Their homes were really strong. They were able to, uh, you know, buy food and water and supplies. And it was really people who were already financially struggling. And now not only did you lose the roof on your home because your home wasn't strong, now you lost uh, your job because um, you're not working in a, in a stable career. You're working uh, in tourism or leisure. And now people stop traveling to the island for those things. So we really feel that if we start training people how to code, how to um, uh, do graphic design, how to be a digital nomad, how to be a, a marketer, an entrepreneur, and use these online skills, we can create economies in places like Puerto Rico and places like Haiti and Dominican Republic and Jamaica and do something similar to what they do in India or the, the economies that you see in uh, the Philippines or the Ukraine, where there's these outsourced tech hubs that are thriving from the digital economy. And it doesn't matter that they live in India because they're connected to the global market. And, you know, that is something, you know, like you said, um, that's something that the internet has introduced is the ability for that digital nomad the, that you could work from anywhere. Um, you know, you could travel around the world and still earn your income and live the lifestyle you want, which is something that is fairly new, uh, something that, you know, the <laughs> generation has no concept even what that's like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, when I told uh, my mother that I was moving to Puerto Rico and that I was starting a, a coding school, she looked at me like I had five heads. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and the, the funny thing is, so we started this company uh, about a year ago now, and a little, little less than a year ago, and we have been preaching this, but I've been here in New York. So in two days, on August 1st, I'm moving to Puerto Rico full time, and I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. And uh, my entire team is in sync. My entire team 
Um, I actually gave the decision to them and I said, listen, I'm thinking of doing this and I, I need your vote of approval. And my entire team is on board and they support it. And we're creating, I don't want to say one of the first, but we're creating a digital nomad company, completely remote. Um, we have calls every day at 10 a.m., uh, accountability calls where we go through our goals, but completely remote. And every single person on my team has the freedom and flexibility to work for from wherever they want to in the world. So in two days on August 1st, probably after this episode airs, um, I am moving to Puerto Rico full time to be a digital nomad and put my money exactly where my mouth is. <laughs> wow. You have my admiration because I love Puerto Rico. I've been there many times. Uh, beautiful weather. It's a really nice place to live. Uh, but also there's, there's that business element as well. There's a whole economy down there. And like you said, there's a lot you can accomplish. So kudos to you for believing in yourself, which is really the first step of being a successful entrepreneur, because if you don't believe it, then, then no one else will, right? <laughs> uh, so no, you, totally. you've got my admiration and uh, I look forward to traveling down there and uh, having, having an excuse to go down to Puerto Rico to meet you. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you have the best excuse, right? <laughs> <laughs> So Anthony, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the different technologies you've uh, worked with and written about as well. So self-driving cars, everybody's talking about that, like that's the next best thing, the biggest disruptor in the automotive industry. But, you know, that's kind of already old news. Everyone's talking about that. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the other trends or disruptors in transportation that you're seeing that uh, people should know about? So I think one of the biggest disruptions is not only going to be the self-driving car movement and, you know, replacing all the Uber and taxi drivers, it's actually the tractor, trailer, and trucking industry. This is traditionally a middle-class, very well-paid middle-class job, like almost upper middle-class, where guys are making really, really good salaries and being able to provide for their families by, by being tractor-trailer drivers. And it was a, a profession where, and I'm speaking in the past tense already because I already know where this is going um we're like friends uh fathers of mine uh provided for their family and kind of the exchange was that you wouldn't be with your family as much because you'd be on the road um driving a tractor trailer and recently tesla has released a new tractor trailer it's called the semi and it has autonomous driving built in and uh, the first version of it, uh, Walmart has already pre-ordered 10 uh, copies you of it. You can buy it at Walmart. Test it out. <laughs> yeah, you can buy it at Walmart already, right? Like, almost. Uh, no, but, but in all seriousness, Walmart actually uh, is going to test it out. They already pre-ordered, I think, 10 or 15 of them. And it has the self-driving technology capability built in. Now, this model does still have a driver in it. Um, but if you know Tesla and you follow their... Uh, story and their progression all of their cars are built with uh, 4g capability and they push software updates to them constantly tesla actually had a recall where if you were traveling uh 60 miles an hour or faster and a rock and this is on the first tesla a rock would like bump up and hit the battery there was a chance that it could start a fire and what they did, instead of having a massive recall where every single Tesla would have to go back to the factory and get re-engineered, they pushed out a software update and they created a um, system where when the car would start to go over 50 miles an hour, it would raise the suspension 
and then problem problem averted. There's no chance that a rock hits it too fast. There's no chance of a fire. And they save themselves millions and millions of dollars in recalls by just pushing the software update. So in a wow. similar sense, when they're ready to uh, make these semi-tractor trailers fully autonomous, they'll still be autonomous to the fact that you can press autopilot like you can on a Tesla car, and then you can like play with your phone even though you're not supposed to. But... Um, but once they get to the point of being fully autonomous, they're going to push a software update and they're going to say, yeah, these things don't need people anymore. Wow. You know, talk about using innovation in order to help improve your business. I mean, like you said, right, instead of having to recall thousands of the uh, <laughs> Tesla vehicles, uh, they're just able to fix it with uh, technology, which is fascinating. Well, and that's why you want to create your software solutions in a way that they're agile like that, right? So that's intentional. That's their business model is, um, you know, we're not going to have a lot of knobs. We're going to have a giant touch screen. And then that touch screen is almost like a digital canvas that we can push updates to and constantly improve. Um, it's also like the innovation of the iPhone, right? There's no buttons on these things. You know, the original one had one button. These don't even have buttons anymore. And the idea behind that, besides aesthetics, is the fact that it's a blank canvas. It's this digital canvas where when you're using the calendar, you have uh, a few buttons. When you're using the calculator, now you have different buttons. When you're using the telephone, now you have different buttons. And as opposed to the phone that's actually sitting right behind you, right, <laughs> where, um, you know, the buttons were... Uh, analog they were fixed right and now we're creating these digital canvases via ipads and um, ipods and in-app dashboards and things of that nature where you have this canvas let's shift to another technology here china has been in the news recently as we know uh, for using uh, face recognition technology and ai in order to keep tabs on its citizens um, you know what are your thoughts on government using this kind of technology to so-called fight crime, at least officially, and then later turning it on citizens in order to catch them in the act of doing something or another. I mean, you know, it's coming whether we like it or not. Yeah, I mean, it really reminds me of uh, Minority Report, right? And the future, uh, the future crimes, right? They, if, if you guys haven't watched the movie, you should, you should go, but uh, it's a movie by Tom Cruise. And it's this dystopian future where uh, they use technology and a little bit of magic to detect crimes that are happening in the future. And they arrest you for the crimes that you haven't committed yet, right? <laughs> and it's like, where's the free will? Like, I might not commit that crime. And there's actually a uh, software out right now that is, uh, it's only being tested, I think, in like one or two cities in the country. Um, but nonetheless, it uh, searches for potential crime uh, algorithms, right? So it looks at all the crimes that are reported and it looks for patterns and then it tells the police, hey, statistically on a Friday night in this area, there's crime, there's a crime going to happen. So you should go there. So now the, the police get a notification, hey, there's going to be a crime here, right? And they're going out and then they're searching random people and they're actually harassing people. And there's actually a video on YouTube where they stop this guy and they search him and they find like a pocket knife and they end up arresting him for a pocket knife. But it's like, he didn't know, do anything. wasn't doing, yeah, he didn't do anything. Like it was just, he had a pocket knife in his, in his, you know, in his pocket. And um, so it really does create this kind of police state, this dystopian future. Um, 
Facial recognition is pretty accurate. It's not 100%. The fingerprint, we're actually learning that the fingerprint isn't as accurate as, as we thought, especially these partial prints where we're locking people up because, you know, the two or three lines kind of match someone else's two or three lines. So, um, yeah, I really think it's a slippery slope. I, I think there should be regulation to prevent cameras from really just being everywhere. It's, it's really, really weird. It's actually scary. Um, I, I know that statistically it probably is making uh, cities safer. So if you look at like New York City, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the subway was the most dangerous place. They were like stick up kids, like guys would come on the subway with a shotgun and be like, okay, guys, it's Tuesday. Like put all your jewelry in a bag. And now the subway is like the safest place you can go. Like if someone's messing with you on the street, just run into the subway and there's cameras and there's police. And um, so, so I know it's, it's like, it's a slippery slope between like, we want to create safer cities, um, but we also want to have our freedom and our liberty. And you know, part of it is personal choice, right? So like what you put on social media, you can kind of control that. But when we get into uh, having cameras everywhere, like scanning people, um, people's faces, it really does uh, become this dystopian future. And again, if you if you watch the movie Minority Report, Tom Cruise eventually has a warrant out for his arrest. I won't I won't give away the plot too much, but he ends up having a warrant and everywhere he goes, his face has to be hidden because if if they're able to scan his face and I believe it's actually his retina in, in particular uh, they will recognize him and, and the cops will like immediately come and swarm him. So th- those are like the weird cases where like what happens when that power is in the hands of people you don't agree with, right? So right now is a great political climate for that conversation. Donald Trump is villainized as this bad guy, right? Now, I, I won't go into whether or not those things are true, right? I like to kind of have an objective opinion and judge people on what happens. But okay, I'll go along with it for now. Donald Trump is the bad guy. That means all the same power that you just gave to Obama, the guy that you liked, now you just gave it to Trump. So that's why having the government have limited power is important because you want their hands to be tied. You don't want to have all this massive power in the hands of human beings because human beings are imperfect, right? So I really think that there needs to be more regulation around these facial recognition and these technologies. Now, that being said, you as a citizen, besides lobbying Congress, what can you do to protect yourself? So be conscious of what you're sharing online, right? There's no such thing as being anonymous. Um, Facebook was actually um, outed in Europe for not deleting things that they said they were going to delete. So in Europe, they have actually more liberal laws around this type of stuff than we do. And you can actually audit and have a subpoena to Facebook and say, hey, Facebook, give me all the data you have on me. So someone in Europe did this and they got a database dump of everything that they had about this gentleman. And there were posts where it said, "Uh, hey, uh, Avi tweeted this on this date status equals deleted and it's like hang on wait status equals deleted that means you know it was deleted but all you did was change a status and in the back end it's still sitting in there right so all the things that you think you know snapchat stories oh they're going to disappear instagram it's going to it's not going to disappear so everything that you upload it is a record for life so the way that you can kind of protect yourself is by limiting what you upload online if you upload your face to facebook they're using facial recognition and now your face is in a database. It's the same thing with Google. It's the same thing with all of these different technologies. Um, 
So it is kind of a trade-off between convenience and privacy. And I think you just, you really need to be mindful of the actions that you're taking online because although it feels anonymous and it feels fun, um, nothing that you do online is anonymous. And it all boils down to the way we started the conversation, right? There's always that human and social element. If uh, we as a society <laughs> become smart about it and we don't share things like, uh, I don't know, videos like when we were drunk, then it's not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's actually been cases. It's sad. There's been cases of... Um, you know, young children or young adults where they share these types of things that they do at parties and things like that. And then there's repercussions. There was a kid who was 18 years old and uh, he was drinking a beer and he like took a picture of it. He was arrested and he was uh, charged with underage drinking and they didn't have any other evidence rather than a picture that was posted on social media. So um, I I think it does start at home, like really just uh, like educating your kids and, um, making sure that they're aware that there are ramifications for these types of things. Um, and really just like personal responsibility, like realizing that what you post online is going to live forever. Now me and you were actually kind of, um, I'm probably like the last generation that's semi lucky that we were able we to were, do stuff and not get caught because there were no cameras. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There were no cameras. Right. And, and even social media, like I think about like MySpace, like I'm, I'm uh, maybe a little bit younger and like MySpace was kind of out, but that was still sort of anonymous. There was like, you use a screen name. Like, I think my name was like Mr. Fresh, right? And like, you could just make up these names and the internet was still very anonymous. And we've really transcended to that. Like Facebook will request your state ID if they think you're not using your real name. Yeah. And we've really, really moved away from being anonymous online. And like AOL too was like all screen name based. And it was like, even though like if you did something really bad, they could kind of track you down. But um, in general, it was more of an anonymous social network. Now, oh, I really feel bad for the people now. Um, like what I actually did was um, when I started building my career, um, I had pictures from Facebook. I was actually one of the first college um, kids with Facebook. It was actually thefacebook.com before uh, he bought the, the regular Facebook. And we sat down first day of college and they were like, everyone download this application. It's called the Facebook. And I'm like, what is this? I want to use MySpace. And they were like, no, we'll use it. It's good on campus. And at that time you had to have a .edu email address to even use the thing. And um, it was back in 2015, I believe. And at that time, um, you know, I was in college, so like we had parties and there were pictures of us drinking and doing fun stuff, uh, things that college kids do, right, with the red cups. And then, uh, you know, a few years later when I was into my professional career, I thought I had marked some of those albums as like private. And then I was with a coworker at work and she was like, oh, no, I can see that. I, I, I see that Oops. party that you were at in college, right? And it wasn't anything terrible, but it was just not the perception that I wanted to portray. Um, so I actually nuked the Facebook account. I deleted it. They make it hard. It's like a multi-step process. I actually deleted that account and started a new one. And then everyone that I connected with and every picture was, was strictly professional. Um, so I was lucky enough uh, to do that and lucky enough to do that before I really built my business personal brand that nobody like copied those pictures right, and syndicated them. But for these kids that are growing up now, it's really, really crazy, you know, and especially if the pictures aren't on your account, right? Like what if the pictures are on a friend's account? How do you, how do you handle yeah. that? How do you get them taken down from an account that you don't even own, right? So I, I really, really think we're, we're living in 
uh, almost scary times. And the thing is, like, like you said it, like everyone experiments. Like, yeah, I think even Obama said he had smoked a joint uh, when he was in college or something. And, and Bill Clinton was like the first one, right? Oh, I smoked the joint. I didn't inhale, right? So everyone, everyone goes through their Depends on your definition of inhale. <laughs> he, he meant he didn't exhale. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, we all go through our adolescence, right? And I, I really think, you know, part of the answer can be social media and things of that nature. But I think one of the things we have to shift our um, culture and our consciousness to stop being so judgmental. We, we really snap to really just judge people based on the wrong things. You know, someone says the wrong word or they have the wrong color skin or they have the da 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 and it happens really on both sides. You know, this person's this, this person's that. We're always trying to label people and put them into boxes. And I think we really need to stop being so judgmental and really just judge people um, based not on their past or where they come from um, or their ethnicities or their creeds, but really just judge people on, on their character and, and who they are in the world today. Anthony, how do people connect with you? You can go to my personal website, which is anthonydelgado.me. You can shoot me an email at me at anthonydelgado.me, or you can go to our company website, which is disrupt.digital. Great. And I'll post that to the show notes that people can just pull it up and click on there and get right to you. Awesome. Avi, thank you so much for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, I uh, thank you so much. Uh, just before we go, do you have Anthony? Do you have any parting words of wisdom to share with the audience? Um, if I had any parting words, it would be um, love thy neighbor, treat other people like you want to be treated, and um, disrupt the world. <laughs> love that. Love that. That's a great way to end the show, Anthony. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really enjoyed having you. Likewise, Avi, thank you so much.